Amen. Well, it is good to be in the Lord's house, which is his people. We can think sometimes that the church is a building, but it's not. The church is the building. Well, it is a building, but it's the building that's made of people, right? Not of bricks, not of wood, not of stone. Well, if you have your Bibles, we will be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 28. And really, the question that I'm posing here is this. How important is the resurrection of Jesus? How important is the resurrection of Jesus? Now, imagine with me for a moment that you are planning to go on a ski trip in the winter up north. And the most crucial part of skiing has happened, snow, right? So you have snow, you have a mountain, but you need something else to ski, right? Maybe some skis and maybe a couple poles. Can you ski without skis? No. Well, I mean, you could try, but you would be rolling down the hill and the mountain and it probably wouldn't end up very well. Now, here's the thing. I ask you a question. What is the most important thing in Christianity? Now, you might say, well, the death of Christ on the cross. Well, that is very, very, very important. So while the cross of Christ's death is crucial and central to the gospel message, there is something just as crucial. Anybody guess what that is? Maybe the resurrection. Why? Why? I'm going to get into it, but the reality is, just so that you kind of get this at a high level, is without the resurrection, you don't know that the death of Christ did me. Without the resurrection, God did not vindicate his son because he died upon a cross hanging there as a criminal condemned by the Jews and by the Greeks. And so he experienced that shame. Now, if that shame was true, there would be no way, if he was someone who hated God and did not love God, there would be no way that God would raise him from the dead. But if God raised him from the dead, then what happened was God said, my son was innocent. Everything that my son did worked. So really, the resurrection is proof that redemption worked. It's simple as that. And you know, scholars, atheists even, don't doubt the, the, the proof of the resurrection. Just so you know. But they just don't believe that that resurrection is effectual to salvation. Because they do not believe in God. What we want to see today is that just like the ski equipment, the death of Christ it, without the resurrection does not bring hope. The death of Christ without the resurrection does not bring hope. The resurrection of Christ is a crucial doctrine of Christianity that brings us hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 28. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you 
which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every and every authority. And power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under, under his feet. But when he says, when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjected under him. That God may be all in all. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. And all God's people say, Amen. Now, just so you know, by way of context, Paul writes the letter, this letter, to the church of Corinth to deal with a bunch of problems that the church was having, and also to answer some questions that they have. In a nutshell, you can actually say that this letter is actually Paul's correction and instruction to the church in Corinth. Chapter 15 in particular is dealing with some of these questions. And at the time of this writing, many believed that death was actually just the end of life or that you would live forever in some shadowy and insubstantial existence in the underworld. And the idea of a physical, right? A physical. Embodied 
existence after death was mocked by many. If, if, if you would have said that I would one day be in this same body that was a spiritual body, but the same body in a sense, right? Renewed, I would be mocked. It's just the end, you would say. Or yeah, you just your spirit goes somewhere and you just kind of float around. That's the idea. But in this passage, Paul is dealing with their confusion about the future bodily resurrection of Christ and of his people. Now, let's dig into this passage. So in verses 1 to 2, Paul reminds the Corinthians and us of why we must hold to the faith, to the gospel, as it was correctly preached to us. And he also tells us to hold on to it for dear life, in a sense, because that's where we have salvation. And so then you read this and you read the gospel, reminds you of the gospel that you preach, that you receive, the gospel in which you stand, the gospel by which you are saved. And if you hold fast or cling to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, what two questions come to mind is what is salvation? Actually, there's really three questions. What is salvation? What is the gospel? And why and how is it important? So. First off, the gospel. The gospel is being rescued. The gospel is being saved from the eternal wrath and punishment of God. Because every human born in ordinary generation, through, in other words, through the normal process, stands under God's wrath, stands under God's curse because of sin. And sin is simply missing the mark of God's perfection and holiness. It was mentioned earlier in the confession of sin. It's not doing what you're supposed to do and doing the things that you were told not to. Well, it's like not cleaning your room when you're told, and it's to making a mess when you were told not to make a mess in your room for you younger people, right? So that's the reality. It is, it is basically doing what God forbids and not doing what he commands perfectly in your heart and with all your heart. And so this sin was passed down to us by our fathers, and this is called original sin. And so we stand guilty at our conception, our nature being corrupt, and also we do sin if we're honest with ourselves every day in thought, in word, and in deed. If you feel like you've gone a day without sinning, you probably don't know what sin is. And you don't understand the holiness of God. And so, quite frankly, we stand in original sin and actual sin. And so, we have a double whammy. We are guilty because we were born into it and we are guilty because we do it every day. But what's the gospel then? It's the good news that instead of being eternally punished by God for the evil that we have done and that we will do, God sent his son Jesus to be our substitute. The Bible says to be the propitiation, the, the settling of wrath, the, the justice, the settling of justice that needs done Jesus Christ 
took that justice upon himself. He bore in his flesh, in his soul, the eternal torment, the physical punishment, and the eternal torment of the wrath and anger of God. Jesus Christ, who knew perfectly the love of God and was in the bosom of the Father for all eternity and had never knew any time that he did not love, was not loved, and did not love his Father, had his Father's anger and wrath poured out upon him. If you think of having the absolute joy and peace and love of God from all eternity, and then one day God turns all of his anger and wrath upon you, you cannot even imagine how terrible that must have been to know perfect love and then to have it turn to anger and wrath. All for you and I. Oh, the sweetness of that thought and the terribleness of it in the same way. Jesus bore the eternal wrath of God for us, but then he rose from the dead on the third day to prove that he bore that eternal wrath and was victorious and purchased your salvation. And now he's seated at the right hand of God and rules until he saves all of his people. So how is it important? Verses three to eight really outlines this thing. So I hope that you can see why this would be the most important thing that you could know and believe and why you should hold on to it. If you are dead in your sins and trespasses and you are fit to be have the eternal wrath of God poured out upon you forever and ever. And Jesus comes in and steps in and says, I will take this for you. Oh, my goodness. I hope you can see the significance of that. So. An eternity of God's wrath on one side and an eternity with God in his love on the other. It's your choice. It's set before you today. Choose life that you might live and live forever. So in verses 3 to 8, I want to briefly look at a few things. First, you see that our sins must be paid for. You're either going to pay for them yourself or Christ. This is not abstract, Right? He died for our sins, Paul says. But then it says, in accordance with the scriptures. And so what we see here is in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, he was buried and raised, and that he appeared to Cephas in the 12. You know what you see here? That Jesus died in real time and in real history. These were people, he goes on to say, that you could go talk to. Like, hey, um, did you see Jesus? Yeah, I did. In fact, there was 500 of us who saw him. And then they go and they taught, you could talk to 500 people. And the 500 people said, yeah, I touched his hands. He gave me a hug, whatever the case may be. He was in the flesh. Thomas put his hands in his nail prints, his hand in his side. Real flesh, resurrected flesh, but real nonetheless. This was real stuff that happened. So this is made up. It happens in time and history, and it could be confirmed by people. Here you have bystanders. I mean, think about this in a court of law, right? You only need a couple witnesses whose evidence is corroborated, right? We got 500, more than 500. Like, what more evidence do you need? It was written down, right? It doesn't contradict itself. It's all there. 
But this was prophesied and predicted that Jesus would die for our sins, right? So thousands of years before it would happen, Isaiah 53, 6 and 9 10 say, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to its own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And they made his grave with the wicked. Now listen. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Does that sound a little bit like Joseph of Arimathea in the tomb? A rich man, all these pounds of spices that they, they, they took and buried him with. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Now, stop for a minute. I want you to understand something. And I want to correct some bad theology if you have. Okay. Jesus and the Father are not at odds of redemption. It is not like the Father is angry at us and the Son is not. And the Son just stands between the Father and holds his hands like between us, right? And, 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 and we're on that side, the Father's on that side, and the Son's like, no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna beat them up. It's not that's not it. The Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The whole Trinity was at work in this. It was God the Father who set his love on you. It was God the Son who it, it, it enacted that love by being the propitiation, the settling of wrath for our sins. And it was the Holy Spirit who came and lives in you and gives you resurrection life. The whole Trinity is there. God is not angry at you in Christ. The whole Trinity is delighted to pour out their love upon you. That is amazing. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Okay, so your soul has made an offering for guilt. You're done, right? You're done. You don't see your offspring if you're dead, right? You hear the resurrection in that passage? His soul will see his offspring. Listen. He shall prolong his days. How do you prolong your days when you're dead? You ever thought about that? Isaiah 53 is talking about the resurrection. He will prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Not only was his death to take our sins upon himself for us as prophesied, but his resurrection was too. He made an offering for guilt and he would divide his portion with the many. Then you see that Jesus' death was real and not fake. You know what? His, he truly died and was buried. His body was put in the tomb and was there for three days and three nights. And then Jesus rose from the dead on that third day, just like the scripture said. And then it says he made multiple appearances that proved that he was raised from the dead. First, he appeared to the apostles. Then he appeared to over 500 people at once. When this letter was written, like I said, you could just go and talk to them and get an eyewitness account. Can you imagine going up to somebody and being like, so what was it like to see Jesus? And they said, oh, man. I've never seen a body like that. Can you think about it, right? He was in a, a perfect body, a spiritual body, when he appeared to them. Flaws of the flesh of sin that cling to us were gone and he was just perfect but in a physical body that could eat he ate fish it could drink 
And so next he appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus, and to all the apostles. Finally, he appeared to Paul as well, the one who wrote the letter. Christ's resurrection, listen, was not made up. It could be substantiated. So who can get this salvation? Well, verses 9 to 11 answer that question. Basically, if Paul, who hated Christians, persecuted the church, could be saved, who stood by and was complicit in the murder of Stephen, if he could be saved, man, anybody can. I don't know about you, but if I was God and somebody was killing my people, my children that were bought with the precious blood of Christ, I don't know if I could stomach redeeming them. But God does. So anyone can have redemption. It is freely offered to all. And all you must do is repent and receive it. As he opens your eyes, you then can repent. We are saved by God's grace, by his favor. We are not saved by anything that we do. Even though Paul, it says, worked harder than any of them. It was not him, he says, but it was the grace of God that was with him. It was God working in him, not Paul working to earn God's favor. God's favor was upon him, which then produced his action. And so we can walk in freedom no matter what our past. And then in verses 12 to 19, the question of the resurrection comes up. And let me just sum up these verses 12 to 19 for us. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then everyone should feel sorry for us that are sitting here on this Sunday morning. You understand that? Why? Because we put our hope in God's salvation through Jesus Christ. If he didn't rise from the dead, and then there is no reason to think that we will ever rise from the dead. And if this is the case, we might as well just live it up in this life and do whatever we please. But since the life of a Christian is service and sacrifice, then we are abundantly wasting our time. You get it? Your life is about service and sacrifice and giving to others. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead and there's no hope of the resurrection, then what you're doing in service and sacrifice would make you the most miserable people of all. Because how can you pour out your life for others for no, absolutely no reason? What's the point? Because if your existence is just going to end at the end, then you might as well just spend your life doing whatever you want and living it up. And that's what the world does because they have no hope. And can you blame them? Before you look at them and cast a stone at the unbelievers out there, they, the ones that are just living it up and doing whatever they want to do, whatever pleases them, they actually are the ones who are living consistently with what they believe. The rest are just somewhere in the middle in this weird works righteousness and I've got to do good so karma type stuff happens. All false. The reality is, is, is that the, the, the life of Christ the death of Christ is the only thing that gives you hope and it gives you any reason to not be as worse, as bad as you can be. So if Christ isn't, isn't a thing, then be as bad as you can be. So pity those who are without Christ because they're without hope. But understand that maybe they, the people who are living the worst, maybe they just actually get it. You can't live in a quasi-state. You're one or the other. 
It's all Christ or no hope. Paul's point was simply this. The message of Christianity isn't simply that Christ died because that would be the point. What would be the point of that only, right? Here you go. An innocent and perfect man died. The world says this of Christ, right? Oh, he's a great man, a great prophet. But those who don't believe in the resurrection, a perfect and wonderful man died. The end. What is that? That's a terrible story. Would you watch a movie? Would you pay for a movie that that was the story? A great guy does exploits and he dies in curtain. That, that's not what we have, is it, in Christ? But the story that says that that perfect man died and was vindicated by God, being raised from the dead, and then saying, a multitude, myriads of myriads. Now that's a story to put on the screen. That's a story you want to listen to again and again and again. So if the dead aren't raised, then Christ wasn't raised. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then you have no reason to hope. And also you have no reason to think that Christ dying on the cross did anything at all for you. Without Christ's resurrection, you've got no so you might as well just eat, drink, and be married, because you'll die soon. So if all we have to hope in Christ for is this life, then that doesn't give us that much. A little joy, a little peace, but soon it will be over. What would have been the point of anything about it? Right? Like you say, oh, well, if there's no resurrection, and you kind of enjoy life and have a good time, you know, with Jesus, you walk with Jesus, life is good, it makes it so you don't feel guilty all the time. Well, that's great. But Paul's saying, no, that's not it. If that's what you think it is, you've missed it. Because this life is just a temporary, it's a, just a temporary detour to your final destiny, which is to be with God forever. So lastly, verses 20 to 28. The reality is that Christ is resurrected. 500 people saw him. And he is, in fact, the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. What does it mean? He was the first one to get a body that was renewed that is not corruptible. In other words, the first fruits means he's the first guy who got a new body. And because he got a new body, you're going to get one too. And that body is going to be able to eat. That body is going to be able to touch. That body is going to be able to embrace. That's the body that you will get at the final resurrection of Christ. So we are not going to live in some shadowy existence where we float on a cloud and play harps as a soul. Now you might play harps. You might sit on a cloud. I don't know. But I do know that you'll have a body. So you'll have to have to find some way to levitate the body. Right? The, the reality is that you get a physical body that can be touched. So the body that's broken that you have right now. The body whose knees are pain in pain right now, the body as you wake up and you suffer the pain every day, that body, that pain will be gone. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more dying. Everything will be perfect. It will be everything you ever wanted to be as a person forever. Physically. So we'll be able to do things like this. 
Oh, need to preach about Jesus. You'll see it. Right? But we'll be able to talk about Jesus and all he's got. And so Jesus sits at God's right hand and he's going to subdue all his enemies. And basically, all the Christian, all Christians that died before this time, after Christ's resurrection, at their death, go immediately to be with Jesus in heaven. They are disembodied spirits, but they are waiting for their new bodies at the end of history. So when you die, you are with Jesus as a disembodied spirit, okay? So you understand that the spirit, the inner you, the inner presence of God, I have no idea what that looks like. They don't, God doesn't tell us. But you will be up there with the other saints crying out to God, how long, O oh Lord, when will you bring this world, the world as we know it to an end so that Jesus will return and I will get my new body? That's what you will be doing. And so... Eventually, Jesus will usher in this great and terrible day of judgment where all the wicked will be judged. And then they will be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous, those found in Christ, will be brought into the everlasting kingdom of God and the heavens. And at this time, all things in heaven and earth will be subjected to God and all will willingly obey and serve God who are in heaven. And what this means is that God's supreme authority over all will be eternally established. No one or nothing will ever rebel against him. Now, I want to briefly explain verses 27 to 28. I think it's simple. The Father has put all things in subjection to Jesus, but of course, that excludes the Father. Who put all things in subjection to? Jesus is one with God the Father and equal to the Father in deity, yet he willingly subjected himself to, to, to the Father. Christ's subjection to the Father will continue to all eternity. And all of this will be to the praise and glory of God's marvelous grace will be all in all. So we should note that this is not a subordination of being, but an economic or practical functional subjection. Christ as the true God-man living under God. And this is what Jesus' resurrection brought about. And without this, our salvation would not be good news. But it is good news, and it has very real benefits. So I want to end with Four benefits of the resurrection. First, without the resurrection, there is no power in our preaching. In fact, what I'm doing up here is pointless. You get that? Without the resurrection, you're just listening to a motivating talk. That's it. But with the resurrection, there's power in what I say because it's said about Christ. And Christ is alive today. His completed work satisfied the eternal wrath of God. And I prove, we proved it by his resurrection. Second, without the resurrection, there is no guarantee of the forgiveness of sins. That's what Paul's getting at. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, you're not forgiven. You can't be forgiven. Because there's no way to know that it worked, that Jesus' suffering worked. His bearing the wrath of God worked. But if he was raised by God, then that means that his sacrifice was accepted by God. And so when he says your sins are forgiven, they are. You understand that? When God says your sins are forgiven, they are. The son ensures that by his resurrection. Third, it's a guarantee of eternal life and a resurrected body. Jesus is the resurrection and life. He promised that whoever believed in him Though he dies, he will live, and everyone who believes in Christ will never die. Christ is the guarantee or the fruit's first fruits of this. So like the first crops of the year in a field, 
It is a representation of what is to come. Jesus' resurrection and new body proves that we will be resurrected and we will get a new body too. So you, knowing the resurrection is true, can rejoice because those weak knees, those aching muscles, one day will be hurting no more. Fourth, it guarantees the defeat of you see, after Christ rose from the dead, he was seated at God's right hand and he was given all authority and power. This was given to him because of his faithfulness as the true son of God and the true son of man. Every enemy of Christ will be put under his feet. He will destroy every enemy and finally the last enemy, which is death. All things are put under the rule or subjection of Christ. Christ's resurrection ensures the final defeat of evil. So the resurrection provides all this and actually much more. I removed like four more points because it was just too much. We are freed from the penalty of sin. We are freed from the power of sin. And Christ is completing his work so that one day you and I will be freed from the presence of sin. Amen? Father, all glorious, the resurrection of Christ is our hope. And to you, we give all praise and glory and honor, for you are our hope. We praise you and bless you. Would you make this hope real in our souls? And would you help us to enjoy this day where we celebrate the fact that Jesus truly is risen from the dead? Amen.